Welcome to the Hands-On, Hands-Off Podcast, where we talk about manual therapy with clinicians, researchers, and educators. We are curious manual therapists interested in battling misinformation on both sides. We know manual therapy is not a blanket fix for everything, yet we also appreciate that it can be a valuable tool for many. So, please sit back and enjoy the show as we unravel the complexities of who, when, what, why, and maybe even how to apply or not apply manual therapy. Here are your hosts, Derek Cluley and Seth Peterson. Hello, welcome to the Hands-On, Hands-Off podcast. We are super excited today for our sixth episode to interview Elaine Lonneman. Elaine Lonneman is the current president of the American Academy of Manual Physical Therapy, so somebody you should definitely know. And has been the president for now going on her sixth year, which means that she's actually served two terms. She's also been a board member in previous terms, serving in other roles, and obviously has dedicated really her professional life to the American Academy of Manual Physical Therapy, and thereby, as such, manual therapy. So we couldn't be more honored and make this more appropriate to have one of our initial episodes actually having Elaine on the show. And you know, today we got to talk to her a lot about all kinds of things, um, especially her journeys to manual therapy and physical therapy and all the kinds of things that she does even outside of manual therapy. So if you want to get to know Elaine Lonneman a little bit better, uh, this is definitely the show for you to listen to. And again, we were super excited to actually have her on here. And that turned out to be a great show. So um, sit back and enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Hands-On, Hands-Off podcast. We are super excited today because we have Elaine Lonneman on the show with us uh, today. And you know, when we really think about individuals who have contributed a lot to manual therapy, Elaine is certainly a name that rises to the top. And especially over the last six years, as she has served as the Academy of uh, the American Academy of Manual Physical Therapy's president, and she's also held service leadership roles within the academy and other service leadership roles. And her influence on manual therapy, I think, is it goes very, very far. So we're super excited to have her on today. Uh, so welcome to the show, Elaine. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah, the invitation. Absolutely. You were on our radar right off the top. Like you were one of those that was uh, uh, we targeted pretty early on. So just so you know. Part of the All-Star uh, team. That's right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, I know we know you pretty well. And I know a lot of people know you pretty well, but obviously some of our listeners um, don't know you all that well. And um, I know that you do a lot. So this question is kind of loaded. Uh, but I know that you've also probably given your one, one, one minute elevator speech pitch to what you do. But can you give our listeners just a little bit of background, who you are, what you do, and, and that sort of thing? Absolutely. So I live in Southern Indiana. And that's relevant because I grew up on a farm. I am a physical therapist and graduated from the University of Louisville, had interest in orthopedic manual physical therapy, uh, even in school. But one of the things that I think formed me was that when I was 10, my father lost his arm and I became interested in physical therapy. But more than that, he taught me a lot about leadership. He taught me a lot about being able to, making sure I have a purpose and being able to to do the things that I need to do in terms of creating experiences for myself and for other people. Um, I currently work as the Associate Dean for the College of Health Sciences at the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences. 
And I've, you know, my my background has been residency and fellowship in orthopedic manual physical therapy uh, with the University of St. Augustine and with Stanley and Catherine Paris, Paris. And I had the opportunity to practice with them, which was phenomenal. And I then into private practice. I worked at a university hospital, some home health, and then became a faculty member full-time for 15 years. And I was always a clinician. I've always been a clinician or had clinical practice time and still considered myself a clinician. But I will say that now I'm also wearing the interim associate dean hat for physical therapy at the university. And I I just don't have time. There's not enough time in the week to uh, do the, the hours of clinical practice. But at my heart, I'm a clinician and uh, enjoy my leadership roles with the academy where I am currently. Awesome. Well, thank you for that introduction. Uh, and we may get to a little bit more uh, depths of some of those things that you just talked about, because I think we're both curious a little bit about those journeys as well. Uh, but before we even get to that, I'm going to ask you just a couple of easy questions here. At least I think they're easy. If I were smart, I would have sent you this ahead of time, but I'm also wanting to see how quick you can respond. So uh, the question here, and I, and I ask most of our guests this question, uh, you're at a restaurant and you've got a table for four who would you most like to have sitting at that table for four with you? Oh my, that is a good softball, baseball, whatever question. Um, I would say Mother Teresa, the current president of the United States, Winston Churchill, and my husband. Well, that's a table for five. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that is. I thought I was counting four people. <laughs> so there you go. See, you should have sent so, it to me earlier. Well, at least, now. okay. I'll, exactly. <laughs> then he's got to go. <laughs> so Paul's gone. <laughs> we won't, we'll, we'll, we'll let Paul know this. He was uh, close. He was close. Yeah. Well, we can always squeeze him in. Um, I'm sure there is a spot there for the table for Paul. I'm sure Paul would like to be a part of that table probably and carry on the conversation really well. Um, and the last question, and then I'll, uh, we'll get into some of this here. All right. Cause I actually don't know this. I don't even think I could think about what this would be for you. Uh, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would that be? Now, this is going to sound weird, but probably kale. <laughs> I know. I love kale. It's good for you. <laughs> it would it would sustain me. <laughs> That's probably not an answer you've ever received, but it's true. Yeah, not at all. Um, and probably not an answer Silence. I would give you either. <laughs> so. Well, I do recognize that. But there's so many ways you can fix kale. I mean, so I think I would never get bored. There you go. I think I would get bored the first day. Um, awesome. Awesome. Well, well, uh, thank you very much for taking us down that little path here. I know that we want to ask you a few questions. I'm gonna let Seth maybe take off a first couple questions here uh, for us. Yeah, all right. So I think one of the things when I was thinking about um, having you on the podcast was you are in manual therapy, right? You're yes. the president of AOMP right now. How did you, when I think of manual therapy, even when I came up um, not that long ago, it's still kind of, I think, in some circles, seen as like a more of a profession filled or I guess a specialization filled with men, right? Why do you think that is? And, and maybe can you point out maybe some experiences you had early on and, and how you stuck with it and got to where you are? 
Yes. And, you know, I would agree. It's interesting. One of the first manual physical therapy courses I took, the instructor actually said, there's usually two women and the rest of the room are filled with men in my orthopedic manual physical therapy courses. And I'm thinking, well, those aren't bad, bad odds for me. But it, it, did, it, it did make me think, why? Why is that the case? Um, because for me, I, I never saw, I really didn't have any barriers to performing the techniques or being able to articulate or, you know, have the ability to do manual manual physical therapy. And for me, orthopedic manual physical therapy is is more than just the technique. It's it's an approach. It's kind of a systematic approach. It includes a lot of things, obviously skilled hands-on. Um, but I, I wonder if back in the day, um, maybe 30 years ago, if people didn't feel like um, women had the skill or the ability to perform the techniques or maybe the strength. I mean, that has come down the line with, you know, another example is orthopedic medicine, right? Orthopedic surgery that was, is, has been, had been a very male oriented um, profession. And so I think maybe there was that perception. And I certainly hope that myth has, has been dispelled today. Yeah. I mean, Derek and I, I think, um, if I can speak for both of us, were shaped a lot by Julie Whitman uh, growing up. And, and uh, yeah, there's just been, if I look back, there's been really a lot of women in manual therapy that have shaped it the way that it is today. Uh, but maybe it just seems like there's been a lot more myths. And it's good to see you and then maybe some of the other people in leadership the past few years. Well, and I think also with AOMPT bringing multiple groups together, I think that exposed more more women to orthopedic manual physical therapy, or they were they came to the group and we were more aware of them. Because certainly, I mean, the Deidre, Deidre Tehans, Julie Whitman, I mean, Catherine Patla, and Trish King, I mean, I could go on and on. People who, you know, have, have had a solid record and long, long-term experience with um, orthopedic manual physical therapy. So I think having having that association and bringing it together has helped, um, you know, to, to, to demonstrate that it, it is definitely an equal opportunity. Yeah, I think maybe the greatest mind I've ever been around in manual therapy was Barb Stevens. Again, of course. Another, yes. Another name. And one of the, the president right now of IFOMPT is a, a woman as well, right? Laura Finneking. Yes. Yes. Um, and the one... And um, the president, uh, two two presidents prior to her. So there's a significant number of of women who have led in manual therapy. Can you talk about um, right now what the vision uh, for AOM is? I know it's excellence in orthopedic manual therapy, but what is orthopedic manual therapy? And what is excellence in OMT? Well, our mission, excellence in orthopedic manual therapy, physical therapy is basically to provide opportunities to, you know, excel in, in this subspecialty area. So the subspecialty area, you know, includes uh, skilled hands-on techniques, but it also includes clinical decision-making, um, tailored exercise, motivational interviewing, all of those things. So, I think the whole package is what is the excellence in OMPT. And our vision is um, more about leaders transforming healthcare, but I can, I can stay with the mission if that's where, where you would 
prefer I stay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I was I spoke more to the mission. Um, but yeah, if you went maybe go to the vision real quick and tell me what that is. Yeah, and I think, you know, we I think physical therapists are great leaders to begin with. You know, we learn early on um, to be leaders of our patients. They are the most important person in the room. And we know the best leaders, you know, are individuals who focus on the, pe- the, pe- the people that they lead. And as physical therapists, we start that off in our career early on with our patients. And then there's so many opportunities, or at least I felt like I've had opportunities uh, to lead throughout my career, throughout my lifetime, you know, the it ebbs and flows for everybody. Everybody has different time frames where um, they can jump in to lead or they may need to step back a little bit. But I think having a vision of us being leaders transforming healthcare because we are excellent and in terms of our ability to uh, advance musculoskeletal care and to be primary contact providers in the area of musculoskeletal care. So I think that not only just the care aspect, but also in research. You know, we want to promote research, clinical practice, and advocacy all in all of those areas. So there's a lot that's packaged in the term leaders, right? And I, I love I love that vision because I do think that we can be a part of transforming healthcare. I mean, we're not the only team member, but I think we can be part of that. So I want to ask you a quick question, Elaine, here, and I, and I know that we've had some side conversations on this as well. You know, here we are with the Duke Centers for Excellence in Manual and Manipulative Therapy. It's a, a project that was um, assisted in funding by the Paris Foundation, and here we are on the, the podcast for this. And I think you know part of manual therapy, if we look back, especially the last 20 or 30 years, speaking of ebbs and flows, we've ebbed and flowed in who we are perceived as, right? And so I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about maybe, you know, some of the, the, the things that maybe we could be doing some of the challenges, some of the the things that we are working on within manual therapy, because you've mentioned multiple times that obviously manual therapy is a skilled intervention, but it is so much more to it than that. Um, What are your hopes? And I guess, um, visions for, I guess, providing some consistency into what manual therapy is especially perceived as. Yeah. So I think, you know, you nailed it, right? What is the perception? And I think we have to do a better job of defining what manual physical therapy is or orthopedic manual physical therapy is a subspecialty for our profession. So I think really honing in on a great definition that can be used by research and can be used consistently um, will help. But I also think that, you know, there have been situations where in, in social media that has, you know, we've we've ebbed and flowed on the positive and negative nature. It's active, it's passive, it's not real, it's only part of something. Um, so I, I think our job is is to define it. So I think that's part of the vision um, that I have to to and not I, I should say we in AOMPT have to really clarify what the subspecialty is, what it means, and then really assess our outcomes um, through search, through clinical practice. And, you know, we, we're taking baby steps, but we're getting there. You know, we're early on, as you know, in the, the research. And thank you for all that you are doing here at um, 
CMET because it's it's really been helpful. I've heard many positive things about you know the the wall of fame and the and and just having information and and the living reviews, systematic reviews. That's been really excellent. So I think this is another piece for that. Um, I think the other part of that vision in terms of kind of why we've ebbed and flowed is that we have to have consistent standards and we do have standards, a description of specialty practice in this area, but having a high level of standards that really, I mean, that's what I got excited about in in terms of manual physical therapy. I saw clinicians making a difference with their patients and I, I do believe that we, with the subspecialty, we can make a difference in many patients' lives. And I think defining what those minimum standards are and then really excelling in, in those is part of the vision that I have. So it's not just, okay, here's the minimum standard, but here are opportunities to continue to improve the, you know, your training, your approach, and um, skill in this subspecialty area. So we, we have our work cut out for us, but appreciate, you know, what all you all are doing. And I think AOMPT is, is trying to provide a, a foundation for as well as IFOMPT and the APTA. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate, I think that's one of the things as, you know, somebody that has served in the, on the board with you, obviously um, your persistence in, in ensuring that the standards are continuing to be met. And I think that that needs to be vocalized very, very loudly because, you know, it's an aspect of manual therapy that I think gets unseen and unknown, especially when there's, you know, you know, discussion about, well, it doesn't matter how you, how you do things. It's just, you know, there's a lot of that that goes along, but I think that you're, you're pressed for ensuring the high levels of standards continuing on in the United States and then also being consistent in international body is, is much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. It's, and when I look at manual therapy, I think one of these things that I see in manual therapists is just the, the dialed in clinical reasoning. And it's funny because going through fellowship, I think a lot of the fellows that came through with me went in to learn techniques. And so maybe that's this perception that exists outside of manual therapy is, well, it's, it's the techniques. I'd seen through, I had um, a contact with Barb Stevens and Sherry Hodges and Tim Fearon, and a lot of them are, you know, are grounded in this clinical reasoning. So I did it for the clinical reasoning, but going through it and having that even you know, further pushed over the years, I think that's one thing that maybe doesn't get spoken about as much that I think really sets manual therapists apart, especially after fellowship training. I agree. All of all of those things combined. And part of that is, you know, really defining what it is. It's not just the manual skills, it's the it's the clinical decision making behind the approach, as well as, you know, then what what tools do we select and also our approach to the patient. It's not, I think the other thing, other myth we need to dispel is it's a it's a past approach. It's a one-time or two-time thing, and then the patient's done. We're developing lifelong relationships with our patients. And so so that they come back to us, they say, hey, I saw that therapist Elaine, and I want to see her again. And I think the full package needs to be explained well and, and published and then used in terms of research and outcomes and with our standards um, and with, with our fellows in training and residents and so on. You know, it's interesting that you talked about the the clinical reasoning aspect, and I went into it the other way um, than Seth. I wanted to 
why to get good at thrust, right? <laughs> why to get good at these techniques that I had, you know, tried to learn over and over and over again, and I just kind of stunk at. It. And it's probably just more of an impression on my ability, inability to pick up skills. But at any rate, <laughs> in the end, it was the clinical reasoning. But I was teaching a manual therapy class here at Duke, and um, reviewing some of the the course feedback, and it was it was refreshing because the students absolutely loved manual therapy class. Uh, but some of the 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 constructive criticism was actually really refreshing in that there was sort of a large presence of students who wanted more clinical reasoning. They almost wanted like a class on clinical reasoning. And so for me as seeing entry-level DPT students coming in with that kind of hunger, and maybe that's where manual therapy, you know, lives and not not because we're trying to take ownership of something, but I really believe that like Seth said, I think that there's a difference in when you go through a manual therapy and I don't, whatever fellowship program it is, you you come out of it with a, a totally different way of looking at patients and in and, and, and a, and a good way. Your reasoning is very sound. It's very strong. And it and it includes manual therapy, but includes so much um, more to that. But I think that's a hard package to wrap up, right? Like, how, what is that called? Like, you know, what is that? Right. How do we define that? And I think that's, 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 that's part of the struggle, I guess, right? Right. Well, and, and none of us would argue that clinical reasoning, I mean, clinical reasoning is obviously important in first professional programs. I mean, not just in advanced in, in advanced specialties. But I think when you get into a specialty and a subspecialty area, the level of clinical reasoning changes. So you're going back to patient experiences, physical therapists, you know, your own experiences uh, with, with patients, uh, your mentors' experiences, and consider considering and reflecting on all of those things. I mean, I love the script model for, for working with fellows and training. I mean, it's very detailed, but it really does show show clinicians or um, individuals who are training fellows how to go through all of the processes with their students and, you know, hit the reflection, come back with, you know, okay, these are my hypotheses. Now, why did you do that? And share and have a really shared experience and and some great discussions on that. So, I, you know, I think, and G Gail Dial and a group of others, um, I can't remember the first author on that, but I know that Gail was involved in that um, script model. And I think it has advanced the, our subspecialty. I, I mean, I would argue that any subspecialty in other areas would also require advanced clinical reasoning, reasoning but I think that it's it's a significant part and should, and should definitely uh, be viewed as a highlight of of a program or a training. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. I was I just got done looking at the history of manual therapy. Well, the history of diagnosis and manual therapy was really key to physical therapists, even kind of starting to think that maybe they could diagnose some things in the U.S. I mean, it was. Uh, James Syriax and John Manel were teaching physical therapists and the selective tissue tensioning seemed to be huge. It was like, as soon as you could teach PTs this concept that, hey, if you stress this or stress that, you can get a sense about what might be going on with the patient. And then that kind of, you could see how that spiraled into PTs starting their own practices and kind of starting to move into the diagnostic world uh, as they did in the 80s. So, I mean, manual therapy has been so influential, I think, if especially look at the history of PT. So that's kind of an interesting place that I think it comes from. And now, as we go through um, and you look at like the future of manual therapy, where 
do you think uh, needs to go, Elaine? Oh, that's a heavy question. Uh, the future of manual therapy, where should it go? I would say, you know, I think as a subspecialty, we really need to continue to provide opportunities and experiences for growth in the subspecialty. And we also have to really be willing to test our outcomes, to uh, be open to individuals, you know, giving us constructive feedback or um, looking at the research and being true to the research. Well, this, you know, this may or may not be real or true, you know. So I think, I think the future of manual physical therapy is going to be transparent uh, in terms of speaking the truth about research, about our understanding, but also it's we're going to continue. I believe our patients will always need hands-on care. And I also think that we need to reduce the variation in our our practice patterns, our our practice, period. Um, I think that there, you know, not to say that we can't treat our patients differently to some extent, but if a person comes in with a specific, you know, let's say it is a diagnosis that is known, if, if we send that person to five different orthopedic manual physical therapists, they should basically receive the same treatment approach, not 16 different types of tools and, and different things. So I think I, I see that as the future of manual physical therapy, reduced practice variation. Um, we'll have a better understanding of, of the research and what it, what are out, how to improve our patient outcomes, because that's going to be an integral part of us, us surviving. And, and as physical therapists, that's what we want to do. I mean, we're always here to, to help our patients. And that's, that's the bottom line. I think part of the mission of CMAT, right, is to dispel some of these myths and misconceptions about manual therapy. Are, are there any, like both of you guys are in academia, are there any things that you have to hit on with like, your uh, students to just really make sure that they don't walk out of school believing certain things? You want to go first, Derek, or you want me? (laughs) (laughs) I really want you to go first because I need a few (laughs) moments to think about it. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to get asked the question Ah, on the show. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Um, Yes. I mean, you know, we we bring our, our students back and say, what did you hear in the clinic? What did you learn? This is what we taught. And, um, yeah, there are times that, you know, we've had to dispel a, a, a few myths and, and say, you know, that's what is what is the research behind it? You know, work through problem solving with them. And, and I think for me, it's it's about not getting emotional about it. It's here are the facts that I'm aware of. Um, you know, people will come in and say, well, what does, you know, what was that practitioner doing in this? I'm like, I, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but I know what I would do. And, and here's how I would approach it. Um, so, it, you know, it, try to slant it on the positive side in terms of the myths and help them kind of go through the problem solving piece that I want them to think about because they're going to come upon things, you know, the next continuing education course potentially could be something totally bizarre, you know, wearing, can- wearing robes and candles while you do physical therapy it, you know, it improves your outcomes. Well, does it really? <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say every faculty member and physical therapist has has had that happen, you know, and ha- have had those discussions. Yeah, I think for us, it's 
you know, and I think where manual therapy lands and what I really appreciate about the approach that we're taking with manual therapy, and you alluded to this, Elaine, is, you know, we know it's not a panacea and there is no panacea. Exercise isn't even a panacea, right? Like we know that there is so many factors that go into play with every single patient experience that we have. And so I think for us, when we're you know, instructing and teaching, and I think that this is consistent across the board, is, you know, developing critical thinkers, but not cynics. And I think that's, you know, part of the issue is that we don't want to create individuals who are cynical. And it's interesting because social media, definitely, we can become attracted to people who are cynical, naysayers, that kind of thing, because I think it's just, it's easy to kind of fall into that. So we do um, a bit, if you, if, you know, actually, we do a fair bit here at Duke uh, about sort of almost battling that sort of misinformation that gets blasted out into social media either way, either direction. So things that, you know, are easy to latch on to like, oh my gosh, that looks cool. I do want to try that robe and candle thing. Or, um, you know, boy, they're just, they're just slamming everything that is being done, you know, general, generalizing and overgeneralizing um, and, and, and those kinds of things. So I think creating some of that as much as we can, uh, knowing that obviously, um, especially in entry level education, you are very influenced when you get into a clinical setting um, in one way or another. But I think as much as we can, even when we teach manual therapy classes, is that, you know, this isn't the panacea, but it's also not, it's not something that you need to be like ashamed of providing your patients by putting your hands on the patients and, and, and helping them along the path there. So. And I think, too, just to add to that, you know, the transparency, understanding that, you know, there isn't one panacea out there. But I think the other other piece is that as a profession, and, and maybe not just a profession, as healthcare individuals who deliver healthcare to people, you know, with neuromusculoskeletal problems, the pendulum needs to stop swinging from one side to the other. I mean, I think that has done more damage than good. I mean, it, it's good to have great debates. And it's, it's you know, that's natural. And that's great learning. But then it becomes, sometimes it becomes more of a, de- more than a debate. It becomes, th- this is my philosophy and my approach. There's no hands-on. I'm only going to do active active therapy and everything else is is not good. Or, it, you know, the pendulum could be on the other side. So I think for our profession, we really need to to look at the at the pendulum and and try to, you know, keep midline. And and I appreciate, you know, looking at the research and the things that you all are doing and and trying to stay midline because I think some of the people on social media have swung the pendulum to one side or the other, right? And we've seen both. So um, I, I think it's important that we speak the truth. It's it's not the fun part though, right? I don't think people like staying midline, right? I mean, it's almost like we seek the non-midline in, in some respects. Um, and so we're drawn to that, but absolutely 100% agree. Well, and that's natural in social media. The midline people don't make the market. So, yeah, you have to have some villain that you talk about. I mean, um, you know, that's, we talked about this in this paper um, about how, well, maybe one image of, of what you could turn into would be a chameleon where you're letting the patient kind of help you decide how you're going to shape uh, the clinical treatment that particular day. And maybe there, obviously there's going to be some, some limits that you put to what you do, but I think if, if you can, be a little bit more adaptable in your clinical practice that helps you a lot and then seeing this 
paper, I mean, this kind of reminds me of this paper, Andrew Guccione, uh, Stephen George were on it, where they talked about a dynamical systems approach to movement systems. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it was just looking at movement in this totally, uh, which I think is more accurate, but totally complex lens. Like we, we really don't, it kind of humbles you a little bit to read that paper. If, if any listeners haven't, I would recommend it, but it does humble you. And then what's left? I mean, you have to sit back and be able to think. Well, and I appreciate that people have brought forward that complexity and the different lenses, right? I mean, because we we all look through a, a little bit of a different lens um, to some extent, but uh, it definitely is something that I think we should promote. And thank you for sharing that article. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go a little bit, backtrack a little bit, and then take us down a different journey here um, because uh, Seth has asked, uh, about you know the future of manual physical therapy and you know Elaine like we've said you you've served in leadership roles um, before presidency um, within the academy um, and obviously have served for a very long period of time within the academy I mean I don't think your life is probably there's probably like a pre academy and post academy and it's probably <laughs> mostly post academy now um, initiated so uh, but you know so that leaves this question it's a little bit of a selfish question because I've served in leadership with you here. Um, what, what happens after this year? You're done. Your presidency is, is over and your, your, your legacy has been made. And maybe we'll talk about that here in a moment, but, um, what's, what's, what, what do you, what do you got on tap next? And I know you got, you've got, you've got a, you got a few months left here, so you can't, can't go away too soon, <laughs> but where, where do you see yourself, uh, after this, uh, after this service? Oh, I've got a hundred things. But, you know, I will say that even in the next few months, and I'll be immediate past president for a year. So I see myself taking on some of the things that the president, uh, the new president, uh, take the, taking off their plate and just helping to mentor them. You know, I want to pay it forward because I certainly uh, was provided a lot of mentorship and opportunities in, in my career um, and went, and want to help the the new president. But I think it's not just pre and post. I, I would say I've, I, my purpose has always been, and I can say this for my family, is to, to give people experiences or opportunities that enhance their growth. And I've, I've considered that purpose my whole life. So as a mom, that was the same thing. My kids, my family, uh, what can I do to give them opportunities to enhance their growth? As a faculty member, same thing with my students and, and with patients right? That's just what we do every day, you know, it, and maybe growth in a different sense, but it may be physical, you know, and it could be mental or, or you know, intellectual or emotional, sorry, not mental. But, um, you know, so I think my journey will continue because we've started a lot of great things. And I, my purpose will always be professionally to, to give other people opportunities to grow. And whether that's specific to orthopedic manual physical therapy, um, i, I Definitely want to stay in that world because we've started a lot of great things with the foundation and, and I can assist even if it's writing the history and helping on, on the history committee. I mean, I've, I've got so many things listed that I want to do and I'm like, I, Elaine, back off. <laughs> so, so I think it's going to be deciding what not to do. I think the other thing is that I've had a really great opportunity recently to work with other healthcare providers and uh, in academia and other 
disciplines, you know, with nursing and PA and the Masters of Health Administration with, with my other, with my career had as, as associate dean for uh, the College of Health Sciences. And I've really seen how having the different disciplines and professions at the table enhances the discussion. And, and so I think part of my vision for even transforming healthcare is to get more people from the different disciplines in academia and clinical practice or research at the C-suite level. I mean, we should we should really have a, a and definitely physical therapy. I, I think, as I've mentioned before, I think physical therapists are natural leaders. We ha- we're trained from the very beginning, and I I really want to encourage others to speak up. So I think for me, you know, just creating opportunities um, or experiences, and also helping individuals understand that you know they they need to share their ideas and step up to the plate. I think so often. And I, and especially women, um, not not all, and men do some to some extent as well. They question themselves, and and you we're always going to have questions uh, throughout. You know, I think about some of the inflection points in my life. You know, in terms of, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the? Am I going to say the right thing? But you know, I'm. I would encourage individuals to speak out, and I would like to do that. I th- think that's part of of what I would like to do in the future is to really support all leaders. Um, but also maybe get more people to the table to have those um, high-level discussions because it's been a it's been a great experience for me um, in this new role because I've always taught as a faculty member in physical therapy. I've only, only taught physical therapists until recently, and um, it's it's been it's been a good experience for me. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up as a um, something that you may want to or that you'll probably and I, I could see you doing this very well. It, it's funny because we've talked about manual therapy being a subspecialty of a specialty and you're going to bounce from a subspecialty of a specialty to, you know, you know, bringing physical therapy in a sense to the forethought of other healthcare providers, which to be honest with you, makes a lot of sense. It doesn't when you say it that way, but you've done a really good job of, you know, helping to create, um, this perception of manual therapy, manual therapist not being the secret society that lies behind curtains and stuff, you know, <laughs> like you've, yeah, I think in your, in your presidency, it's certainly been something that you've been good about doing, whether that's at the APTA level, whether that's in, um, you know, other sort of creations of, of task forces and such to kind of enable that to come about. Um, and then, you know, obviously that I think is a, is a, is a, perfect line role there for us. And I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, I think I, I can't remember who said this. It might've been actually John Childs when I was talking to him one time, but he said, you know what, it's, this is a really sad quote, but physical therapy is the best kept secret in, in healthcare. <laughs> like right. that's not a good thing to tell ourselves. Right. <laughs> so, that's right. Uh, we, we need to be more than a best kept secret. And I think some, to some extent, manual therapy is almost kind of like this best kept secret. And it's not until you get through, you know, some fellowship training and you kind of go through all of this and you come out of it and you go, whoa, there was a whole different world of manual therapy that I didn't see, um, which would be kind of an interesting perspective to take. Well, and part of my vision as president was to improve the awareness of orthopedic manual physical therapy. And I think that's going to be an ongoing job. So when you ask me what else I'll do, I'll keep, we'll keep working on that <laughs> as well as some of the other things. Thank you. Couldn't agree more with you guys. I would love to see us have kind of a, a bigger role in the forefront. 
Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to ask you this question. You kind of, you've alluded to it and I've, I've mentioned to it, but if, you know, I, you're not done doing what you're going to be doing. Elaine Lahneman is going to be doing things for, for a long period of time. You're going to have your impact and your legacy is going to be present um, for an extended period of time, just in different aspects and roles, but just, you know, the borders of your, your presidency, you know, what's, what do you feel are your, uh, that you, I guess, would like to be, I hate the word remembered for because it sounds like you're like done. Um, what would you like your legacy, I guess, uh, to be uh, remembered uh, for? I, I think that's a great question. I mean, I really think legacy is something we should all be thinking about. You know, if we have a week or a month or whatever, you know, 10 years, uh, what what do we want people to remember us by? And I think I hope that people feel that I have created opportunities for the academy to meet the mission, and whether that's through the you know the foundation for OMPT and um, the awareness related to OMPT. So I think that's that's part of part of what I would like to be remembered for. Um, I also think leadership leaders need to be trusted, and I hope I have left, and I think I have, um, a path forward for, for trust in, and open communication and honest communication. I mean, I tell my family jokingly, but kind of not jokingly, don't ask me a question if you don't want the real answer. And, you know, I, because I think that honest, open, sometimes difficult conversations need to be ha- had. And um, so I think that that is another piece. And I also think, you know, we need to have the courage to step up and say, that's not okay. You know, physical therapy can't be the best kept secret. Um, OMPT can't be the best kept secret. And we need to make changes. And whether those are changes, you know, at, at different levels within, uh, you know, with our standards and, ma- and, you know, fighting to keep our standards. For me, that's another, another thing I Another thing that I believe, you know, I, there might be some legacy that, you know, I, I did step up and, and say, we, we will do this differently then. We will maintain our, our standards at a higher level. And um, we're not going to just go to a minimum standard. We'll, we'll make changes. And I think that's, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants who've done that, you know, before, right? That's when AOMP started. Uh, the d- different leaders have have done many things and said, okay, well, we're going to do this differently. And this is how, so I hope people, you know, think of me as, as being that change. And I think being the first female president, I had, you know, I've had individuals ask me, you know, how do you do it? How do you break the barriers? And, and I will, I have to say that, you know, I started as a secretary on the board, but I was lifted up by many mentors and, you know, I encourage individuals to find, find, people who will mentor them or sponsor them, you know, and, and I never felt like I couldn't, couldn't do it just because of gender. So, you know, whether multiple genders, multiple cultures, races, I hope we all feel that we can step to this table now in leadership and not just in AOMPT, er everywhere in our communities and with our patients. So I think um, that aspect of leadership for me is, is important. Are there any tips, Elaine, that you would have for, you know, maybe that you, you give your DPT students or maybe an early career physical therapist and how to get involved? 
Um, I mean, yes, I, I would, I give a couple tips and one is, is share your ideas. Don't be afraid to find your voice. And if you're having trouble finding your voice, find a mentor who can help you. You know, I, I always, I think mentorship is super important. Uh, that was, that was probably the thing that was instilled in me most whenever I was in physical therapy school, school at UofL. They're like, go somewhere where you will have a clinician or several clinicians who can mentor you along, uh, along your path. So mentoring is probably my number one recommendation. I think another recommendation I would have is to, I've, I've told students to look at the, the operations of the workplace where they're going to be, or, you know, this, I, I say this to young faculty too, they're talking about changing their, their position or moving to another university. And, and I just look at the culture where you'll be working. You know, is it a culture that's high performing where people have a purpose, where people trust each other um, and, and look at that, not only with the mentoring opportunities, but also um, that piece of things in terms of, of having a, you know, really a high performing culture, because I think sometimes, you know, we all, we have a tendency and especially new graduates have a tendency to go where they're going to get the pay to, you know, to pay off the salary, to pay off their debt. And I try to encourage them like this will make the difference in your entire life, your first few years in, in terms of those decisions and to be in a culture where people aren't just, you know, know-it-alls, but they're people who want to learn from each other and share, you know, in share their knowledge and have shared decision making, I think is is really important. So those are those are a couple of tips that I would have. And have fun. You know, I think I, I encourage people to be leaders, but you know, leadership isn't isn't just I mean, it is fun. So it sh- and it should be. So I, I think, you know, enjoying what you do and knowing your purpose, but having fun along the way is important. Yeah. And I would, um, a hundred percent agree with that. I, it's interesting. The, uh, for me getting into leadership within AOMP, I was like, all right, I'm going to start here. Then I was like, whoa, people are actually willing to um, mentor me along the way. I was involved with the ACF SIG and actually Elaine, you were very instrumental in your mentorship of me as a, as a leadership within the ACF SIG. And then when that was coming toward its end, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to be done. But I'm like, I don't, I don't deserve, I don't, do I really belong as a leader? And I think, you know, finding people that can believe in you um, is a big piece to that. And I think that's one of the things about the culture of AOPT is that, you know, Seth and I have probably been in, I don't think Seth and I have never been at, a, I think the same, we were both from the same fellowship <laughs> training programs, but I don't think we've ever done anything clinically together in our lives. And, um, but we've gone, have some very same shared stories. And, you know, we brought up Julie Whitman before, and I could just remember like Julie just being there and like, spending hours upon hours upon hours with us, you know, getting our hands just right, getting our communication just right and all that stuff and not for any other reason just to make us better. Um, and I think that that's one of the the beauties of being in AOMT and one of the things I think that you've definitely done as a, as a leader for sure. Uh, my encouragement, my tip for people that want to get involved in AOMT or any uh, service for that matter is, is just 
just just take the risk jump off the cliff <laughs> you know don't be a, don't don't be afraid of whether or not you belong there's you're you're there's there's you know i think i've heard people say fake it to make it but you probably have made it a lot further along than you think and i think just getting getting the courage to just jump off there and finding people that can help you help push you off the cliff <laughs> i think is uh is sometimes the best thing you can do yeah, but we need leaders. We need leaders in AOMP. We need leaders in manual therapy. And I think you're definitely have done a good job of, I think, cultivating a whole new crop of, of leaders as well. And so I know there's lots of new faces and things like that that have come about. And I think that that's not um, by accident. I think that's also something that you have helped create. Well, thank you. And and thank you for saying get involved, because absolutely get involved with AOMPT, with APTA, with, you know, mentoring. And, you know, I'd encourage mentors to share their their experiences and the wisdom they've gained. Uh, that's, again, paying it forward. And, and that's what I, I hope to do, because I certainly have benefited from being around great people who, you know, haven't been afraid to tell me, this is what you need to do. And, and that's what I love about AMPT. They're open, uh, but also, also supportive. Totally agree. I mean, I think I, I've, had, I've been lucky to kind of stumble into some great mentors early on. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of feed off that passion and then you can start seeing this bigger picture of what you're contributing to, what you're a part of. And, uh, I think that's huge to get you up every morning. It can be tough when you're in the clinic locked in as a clinician, uh, especially if you're surrounded by other people that don't have that same passion, uh, that can really drain you. So um, I'm with you guys. Yeah, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Lee. Sorry. Well, and I think, you know, for clinicians, knowing what your purpose is and going back to it, because you're going to have hard days. We've all had them, right? <laughs> but again, you know, knowing your purpose and, and creating experiences for others to grow and to change, um, you know, helps ground me when the days are long. And, and when I question myself, too, I mean, Derek, you mentioned, you know, like, should I do this? Should I not? But, you know, take the risk and, and ha- having that purpose in front of you. I think helps keep you grounded too. 100%. All right. So we are getting toward the end of the podcast show. Uh, very much appreciate you taking your time out of your super busy schedule. If I'm not mistaken, it sounds like you're a Dean times two or something at this point. <laughs> so Correct. That doesn't leave you a whole lot of time to um, speak to folks like us, but I really appreciate um, you coming onto the show and hopefully our listeners um, can gain a little bit. Um, if you have like... Last last line here. This is open mic. Um, anything goes. We won't even edit this out. Um, <laughs> do you have any final thoughts that you want to give our listeners? I would say, please find mentors and be a mentor. Those are my final thoughts in in whatever you know, whether it's orthopedic manual physical therapy or other learning opportunities. So, thank you for having me. It has certainly been a privilege, and I appreciate all that you are you all are doing for OMPT as well. Thank you, Elaine. Yeah, thank you very much, Elaine. Have a sure. great rest of your day. Thank you. Next meetings, right? <laughs> That's right.